0: back to the Growth Bikes podcast. I'm Joe Perotta, MD of Marmalade Marketing. We are talking to the fabulous founder and CEO of Autometry and entrepreneur, that is Alex Farrell. Welcome, Alex. Hi, Joe. It's lovely to be here. Thank you very much. I know you're a very, very busy human being. So thank you so much for giving your time to us today. No problem at all. No problem. Right. So, you know, the podcast is called Growth Bites and we're Marmalade. So it's only right we start with food. What's your favourite food and why? And does it hold a special place in in a memory for you?
1: Well, I think most people will know of Gavin and Stacey, which is a programme of uh, a Welsh girl from Barrie falling in love with an Essex boy. But not many people will know that I'm actually from Barrie. That's my hometown. I was born in Cardiff and I I grew up in South Wales. So if I think about my favourite food, it's a bit nostalgic. Um, I would have to say Welsh cakes because they take me back and remind me of Wales.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. I did not know you were from South Wales. So That's fantastic. What's one of your greatest life lessons in your business and or personal life?
1: Well, I'll I'll take the business side of it. I think, for me, the biggest business lesson is that the data will always lead the way. Um, I don't think there's been a situation that hasn't been improved with this mantra. It helps me define my goals. It helps me test if my theories are right or wrong. And in the total absence of not knowing what to do, which happens relatively frequently in a startup, um, it gives me a kind of reliable, comforting framework to to get started.
0: And how did you come to start your career? So what brought you to this point? And I'm aware and and many of our listeners will be aware that you uh, founded, grew, scaled and sold a very successful business. So, Do you want to tell us how you got to this point in your career and a bit about your background as well?
1: So, yes, I started in sales, actually. I didn't have the most salubrious start. My first job was selling coat hangers, actually, on the phone. (laughs) And then after that, I sold advertising in, in the computer trade press. So I started my career before actually the Internet was commercially, you know, useful. But I was incredibly lucky to stumble across um, an opportunity to start a tech careers platform whilst I was selling advertising in, in the computer trade press, which was in about 1999. So while sales isn't the route that everybody takes to start a sort of career in, in being a technology entrepreneur, it certainly was the right place at the right time for me. Um, I launched the IT job board in 99 when it was um, it was very early to launch a, a, a commercial website and my background in sales massively helped me, helped me against the competition. So I would say um, from those sort of small starts, um, you, you can do a lot. It was opportunistic rather than anything else. I would, I would consider myself very lucky to have ended up where I am from a, from a job selling coat hangers for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into the nitty gritty now. So you have such a a lot of insight to share with the listeners today. And especially because you have founded uh, several businesses now, you understand the recruitment landscape incredibly well. So in your experience and your view, what prohibits the growth of a recruitment business from a tech perspective?
1: I think it's a really interesting question and one that many of us should be really considering. And I think the first element is the sheer volume of data and the lack of a clear understanding of how to process it and and drive value from it. We see recruiters adding thousands of candidates to their CRM every month that they never contact ever again. You know, the amount and variety of data out there is, is vast. And it's just not humanly possible to review it, add it and intelligently categorize it to drive value from it. So I would say that's that's the first um, issue that recruiters are facing and that it can seriously, it seriously can prohibit growth. I think the second thing that can prohibit growth um, is and this is slightly dull, but I think it's fundamentally important is having a tech stack that's badly integrated. There has never been a better range of technology tools for recruiters. You know, these are the golden days. There are solutions that are highly specialised, seriously sophisticated. But if they're not plugged in and, you know, in a way that you can logically automate sequences, they just don't work well together. You know, it's like, you know, having um, rooms in your house that are disconnected and having them in separate buildings. You know, we can't expect a 10 or 20 times ROI from our investment in technology if we haven't set them up properly. In this day and age, data and technical integration are two of the biggest prohibitors of growth.
0: Thank you. Such invaluable insight. What inspires you in the businesses that you work with? So what leaves a lasting impression?
1: So right now I'm building a relatively new startup. I've been in it for two years. I'm building a very cutting edge technology solution for the recruitment industry. We're using sort of AI and automation to fundamentally change how recruitment owners drive value and revenue from their consultants. But what really inspires me as a result is talking to the early adopters in the industry Um, you know, there's lots of people in recruitment who've been there for a long time and they've got a blueprint for success that has worked for 20, 30 years. But what got them there is, is not going to help them necessarily in the future. There's so much changing out there in the playbook that's that's available. So it's inspiring for me to work with business leaders who are curious and open minded to this really significant shift that AI can um, can have on their top and bottom lines. And the second thing that inspires me, and I've always said this about the recruitment industry, is the people in the industry. You know, I absolutely love the recruitment industry. The business owners are deeply commercial. These these guys or girls have set their businesses up, often with no funding. You know, they're absolute self-starters. They're driving large amounts of revenue very quickly. They're very, very, very customer focused. I think it's one of the most commercial industries in the world, Ever, and they're, they're they're insanely insanely commercial bunch. The recruitment sector really could teach other industries a thing or two about commercial success and and sales. They really could. So that inspires me every day.
0: We've talked about what inspires you uh, with working with the recruitment industry. What are the failings of recruitment businesses that, if there were no restrictions with budget and time, you'd focus on fixing?
1: So. Parking, the kind of bit I've already said around, you know, data being, you know, overwhelming, if not well used integration, sort of prohibiting growth, if it's not done properly, I think, and this is controversial, that historically, there's been a big, a universal even reliance on adding headcount to drive revenue in the recruitment sector and for literally for 25 years as long as I've been in it it's always been we need to grow revenue so we're going to grow headcount you know it's been the only lever that recruitment owners have have pulled I mean they've had incremental um success in doing sort of I guess sales ops and rev ops as they call it but but it's been adding headcount it's not a failing per se but it's been an over-reliance on it I would say moving forward where there are now Other ways to drive revenue and profitable revenue, having a reliance on just adding headcount would be something that that would prohibit, you know, success in the future, um, if that makes sense. And if you were starting a recruitment business today, what would you be
0: focusing on in terms of infrastructure of your own business?
1: What would I do to make it successful? I'm going to go super modern with my answer because it's hypothetical because I'll never do it. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm never going to set up a recruitment business. I would really assess the business model. And I'd ask the questions such as, if I wanted recruiters to bill more, bill faster and stay longer, which I think are the three biggest objectives that recruitment owners have, I would look at how can AI and automation, um, what are the use cases that AI and automation can do to make those three things happen? it might give me a slightly different playbook than i've had previously and then i would build the business around around what those two pieces of technology ai and automation can do so for example if one of the answers is well i need to hire the right individual for the job you know how can i use you know cutting edge technology to hire the right people i need to put them on the right market how can i use ai and um Uh, machine learning to to answer that question I need to ensure that they're on the right market with enough leads how can I so I would look at it like that I would look at the big challenges and opportunities that I've got ahead and I would and I would maybe look to the new world of AI and automation to see if I could answer those challenges in a slightly different way. I love that tell us
0: a little bit more about what you're doing with Autometry and any other ventures you'd like
1: to share so is super exciting we, we're two years in and we have we have one real focus which is to increase recruiter's productivity. And when not, when I say recruiter's productivity I mean revenue. So we're solely focused on driving revenue per head per recruiter. So our answer to that our model is to use artificial intelligence and automation to significantly help recruiters to cover more jobs, fill more jobs and place more candidates. So that's autometry. it's a really exciting space and we feel that me and my co-founder Nye, we've known each other for 25 years, is an expert in recruitment, I'm an ex- expert in, in, in work tech platforms, that between us we know enough about the, what the actual recruiter needs to do and how the technology can wrap around them to help make that happen. And I'm going to be really clear, we are using AI to power the human. It's amplifying their positive interactions. It's not swerving through them. We truly believe there's a place for the recruiter here and that AI and automation should supercharge them, you know, not necessarily uh, navigate them. So that's autometry. And we expect to see great things from that. Um, I'm also a non-exec director in a company called Hula, which is an employee experience platform. That's a really exciting space. It's much more focused on in-house talent teams than, than the sort of recruitment firms. And actually how employees engage with a user, an interface at work, how they ask their questions of the company, inter- interact with the tech stack of their company. Um, I mean, it's, it's a brilliant company. I love working with those guys. So that's, that's the other role I do sort of a couple of days a month. So those are the two things I'm focusing on right
0: now. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing. And our final question. So the clients we talk with sometimes have a, a stuck in the middle mentality, we call it, where they're afraid of too much change at once. Sometimes that change is absolutely inevitable because of environmental changes or economic, whatever that may be. Many businesses stay in their comfort zone. So what are the three things, in your view, recruitment businesses should be
1: binning? So just getting rid of. And far be it from me to, to tell the recruitment specialist what to do because they, they're pretty good on this kind of stuff. But if I were to advise them, I would say, number one, I think these days simply relying on sort of gut feel when mm-hmm. there is data, data, data everywhere. It's a, it's a very old school approach. So it's time for recruitment owners to really take data seriously and really understand that not maybe just the data that they're looking at the moment, that there's some very rich data out there that could significantly improve getting their recruiters on the right market, understanding the top, the top and bottom performers, you know, much more trigger-based information around that. So data, data, data. The second one I would say they should have been is potentially relying on some of their old playbook. You know, those things that work for 25 years, there are other tools available today and ignore them at your peril, because if, if recruitment firms are saying look, we don't think we should use automation, we think recruiters should have to do that stuff themselves and their competitors are doing it, then they make no doubt about it. Their competitors will get faster shortlists, better shortlists across to those customers before anybody else has touched the keys. Right. So understanding that there are tools available that are different to the tools they've used before and they can supercharge the the recruiter's outcomes. The third thing I would say is maybe not been, but they should be aware of, (laughs) i say this with caution, is an over-reliance on LinkedIn. You know, LinkedIn's amazing bit of kit is probably the best thing out there um, that most recruiters consider driving value in their business. But if recruiters are just simply transferring data from LinkedIn into their CRM and then never touching it again, that doesn't make much sense to me. So over-reliance on LinkedIn, if it's not returning value, doesn't make sense. If you've got your recruiter spending time on LinkedIn and it's clearly turning into value, of course, off we go. But if you are letting recruiters push data into your um, CRM, then why not absolutely um, rinse every single piece of value out of it once you've added that investment? You know, there's, there is pound notes in there. Um, we call it uncaptured revenue or unrealized revenue. So I say with caution, maybe, maybe over-reliance on LinkedIn is the wrong way to say it. It's, it's, it's using LinkedIn in a way that drives value rather than just transfers data from one pot to another. So those are the three things I'd flag up That's such good information. Thank you for that.
0: What did it take to scale and sell the business?
1: So the IT job board was a, was a great example for this question because we grew the business from nothing, you know, to be the biggest tech careers platform in Europe. And we sold it to a big US company. They were they were New York Stock Exchange listed, you know, and it was a textbook startup scale-up exit to a trade sale buyer, you know, journey um, the main factors in growth really were, were two things. The first was a relentless focus on the growth metrics. You know, I told you about my background in sales, monitoring revenue numbers and monitoring um traffic numbers. We were a job or business rather than a recruitment business. Um, was relentlessly was the was the focus that, that got us growing. You know, it really was important um, and it gave us the scale to have that kind of exit. So, you know, not just monitoring the numbers, but know that we ne- we needed to be the biggest in this market, this market, in this market if we were going to sell to a US player. So a relentless focus on growth metrics was one. The second was a joined up senior team. Um, And recruitment platforms are much more complex businesses in a way than sales businesses because the success in a recruitment platform is as much to do with marketing. They drive the traffic numbers as it is to do with sales and as it is to do with product and tech. So it's much more like a three-legged stool. They all equally contribute to the success of the business. So having cohesion between your head of marketing, your head of product and tech and your head of sales was really important. They couldn't be sort of unbalanced. And actually... They're quite different individuals quite different functions they can knock up against each other relatively easily so i had an exec coach for two years prior to the sale working with us as a team and the objective was that if i was removed from the process that those three were still a team without me that they weren't joined to me like the spokes of a wheel that they were a team in their own right rather than direct reports to me so it was worth prepping for two years before the exit because when the buyers came in, they could see that it was a it was a joined up team rather than gosh, what happens if we remove one or two of them? Are they just individuals with a line in? So yes, I would say a joined up senior team would be the second thing that um, was significant to us. It, it really helped to sell the business in the in the way we wanted to.
0: And from day one, startup to sale, how long did that take?
1: That took about fourteen years. Wow! So we tried to sell it in two thousand and eight. And then after seven or eight months of due diligence, there was a global economic crisis. It was dreadful. I mean, we were literally about to sign the paperwork. World fell apart for everybody, not just recruitment technology companies. Sale didn't happen. You know, it took us five years to get that business profitability back to a place where we were sellable again. And we sold it to the same company that we were talking to in 2009. Go figure.
0: Wow. Did you get more money than what was on the table initially?
1: No, it wasn't more. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah so unfortunately not but it was still a good it was a good journey from start to finish we actually by the time we sold second time round, uh we had a much more interesting business we'd grown germany germany was a very interesting place to do a tech platform it, it was one of the biggest challenges i've ever had so that extra five years was um it was hard but worthwhile and you know you can't you can't be a, a an entrepreneur and not have a couple of you know decent downturns recessions in your armory can you so yes and that
0: just shows the resilience of that team and yourself to then put the turbo boosters on for another five years and then get that sale that you all had aimed for
1: absolutely but I think we also really enjoy I mean we had I had a great team there I mean I'm I'm still in very much um, in contact with them and some of them are my investors now in autometry they're a they're a lovely group and I actually enjoyed it I think there's There's something unsaid about selling businesses that that actually once you sell them quite sad you think Mm it's the summit and actually you're a bit flat after it because you've spent so long solving a really interesting problem with a group of people that you really like and then you sell it and you're kind of a bit flat so no I'm still very good pals with my IT job board lot um I'm sad I was I was sad when it when it ended